and welcome to St James, a Scottish Episcopal Church in Leith. This podcast is an edited recording of our Sunday morning service on February the 18th, 2024. For news and information, and to find out how to join us, please visit stjamesleith.org.uk. this very bright sunny morning. (laughs) I'm wondering if anyone can just pull that blind down because whoever's going to stand here is not going to see anything. (laughs) It's good to be dazzled by the light though isn't it (laughs) on a Sunday morning. (laughs) That's great thank you that's enough yeah brilliant. Sorry to take your light away. (laughs) So good morning everyone my name is Carol I'm leading the service this morning. Good morning to everyone. Um, uh, at home or uh, whether you're just down the road or whether you're in far-flung countries. Uh, Welcome to everyone here in the building too. Wherever we come from, however we are this morning, we meet as one to worship God, to listen to his voice, to her voice, to come together in prayer. and song, and word, and silence. And in a moment, we'll take that silence. But today is the first Sunday of Lent, and I wonder, maybe you have noticed something different about the space. (laughs) Maybe you could say what is different. (laughs) Anyone noticed what's changed from last week? Colours, colours, doves, so yeah, Um, a squiggly wire, messy wire. Thank you to all who came on Wednesday, there was a a great uh, group of us that came through the day of all ages, uh, including uh, Richard Picasso Medrington, as he has now become, I think, since putting on the artist's smock. (laughs) and all others, I say, of all ages. I won't name everyone, but it was great. It was lovely, people coming through the day, some for 20 minutes, some for a few hours, and all have created this space, so it wouldn't have happened without you. So um, thank you for those who have enabled this new space for us. So as you have seen, the colours have changed. We've got the purple colour of Lent, and you might subtly see that underneath there is still... um, the squiggles, the messiness of uh, what was before. Not, we didn't paint it out as we often do before we paint the next bit. So you might just see those squiggles because it feels like the messiness is still with us. And the middle says something about the messiness. And this pattern here is um, evocative, we hope, of a fence of separation, of division, which is sadly in our world and amongst us at the moment. But you see the fences breaking and uh, the birds that are coming from it, the the shapes, the top of the fence become birds, become free. And I guess that is our hope um, for Lent. And within um, the middle of the messiness, the devastation of wire and mess that's in the middle are, I hope you can see, um, doves of peace. Some of them are struggling to get out. And perhaps that's again our prayer 
for this Lent that um, the dove of peace, that peace may prevail. So thank you again, everyone, for creating um, this space. Now, I have spent the week um, preparing a workshop, um, a reflective workshop on air last week. Fascinating. I won't go into a whole book, a whole thing about air. Um, but as we move into silence um, and as the candle is lit, I just want to read a, a small quote that I read. Um, Thomas Merton says, how I breathe, how I pray is breath. So I want you to just be aware of the air, the divine breath that gives us all life in the world and within you. Maybe taking a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Prayer begins with the inhale. Before we are able to utter anything with our lips, we must first draw through them the air that fills us, enabling not only our speech but also our life. We must remember that humanity did not take the first breath, but that it was given to us. God's exhale became humanity's first inhale, filling us not only with life, but with the ability to participate in the creative power of breathing, of life. For it was God's breath that uttered the world into existence and God's breath that filled humanity with life.
God who is both power and love, forgive us and free us from our sins. Heal and strengthen us by your Holy Spirit and raise us to new life in Christ our Lord. Amen. said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it, and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Listen to the word that God has spoken. Listen to the one who is close at hand. Listen to the voice behind creation. Listen even if you don't understand.
Today's Gospel is taken from the Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. Glory to Christ our Saviour. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts. And the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the gospel, good news for all. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for the freedom that you gift us and we ask that you would help us to use it responsibly and compassionately. Amen. So uh, this morning I'm going to use the, the images that we've got uh, here and also sort of link in to some of the themes that we've got uh, in our Lent course, uh, looking at St. Paul, seems of... Uh, our acceptance by God, uh, but specifically freedom. And uh, it's, a, it's a tricky uh, subject, um, and uh, I'm not sure I've got it fully clear in my mind, but um, I, I'm encouraged by the fact that I don't think St. Paul had it clear in his mind uh, as well, so I'm in good company. Um, I'm just going to get a book that uh, I forgot to bring up. Two books, thank you. Um, so... I want to sort of uh, loosely use the passages and, and look at uh, the whole nature of freedom and where our freedom comes from. So in our gospel reading, uh, has strong rev- resonance with last week's reading of the Transfiguration. Uh, and Mark's version is pared down, a uh, version of Jesus' baptism compared to Matthew and Luke. Uh, but it does differ in small, significant details. Firstly, there's absolutely no sense that uh, Jesus is superior to John. You don't have that idea of uh, Jesus, uh, John saying, I'm not fit to to tie your bootlaces. In fact, if anything, there's a sense of Jesus being a disciple of John um, and John being Jesus' mentor. And secondly, it's interesting that Jesus has a vision and hears a voice, but it's an internal experience. It's an inner affirmation of him of his sonship before God rather than an external proclamation to everybody else that Jesus is the son of God and that goes hand in hand with Mark's idea of uh, what's called the uh, um, messianic secret that in Mark Jesus keeps his messianic status quiet he doesn't uh, it's not proclaimed So our story starts with Jesus traveling from Nazareth to Galilee 
and it's several days' walk with the intention of meeting John and being baptized by him. And as he's being baptized, he has a vision of the heavens being torn apart and the Holy Spirit descending upon him in the form of a dove, whilst also hearing God's voice. Uh, and in the Greek, it's bathqual. I think that I'm not sure I pronounced it right. Bathqual, which literally means the daughter of sound. It's a lovely expression for God's voice. The daughter of sound saying, you are my son, in you I delight and I'm pleased with. And again, that resonates uh, with last week with the voice on the mountain that said, this is my son, beloved, listen to him. So both, both voices, the one on the mountain and uh, in the River Jordan, affirm the belovedness of Jesus before he embarks on two different uh, challenging, life-changing journeys. One towards Jerusalem, uh, where uh, we know uh, that he was crucified, and the other, the start of his ministry, into the wilderness. Again, um, for 40 days, uh, for however long, a life-threatening uh, thing to do, actually, to go into that desert. So, we also have in our first reading our belovedness shown through God's covenant with his people, with Noah and all flesh on earth, and it's God's binding commitment to us through a rainbow, what I call God's smile upon us. Um, I had three experiences where I felt God smile on me through a, a rainbow. One was on the west coast. I was standing uh, in the middle of these standing stones uh, with Fiona, my wife, and uh, my little boy, Christy, had just been born, was on my back. And it suddenly went suddenly dark. And it started pouring, literally hail, pouring with rain. And... Uh, very, very sort of uh, eerie atmosphere, and it took five minutes, and then suddenly the sun came out, and there was this double rainbow, and it was like, I always felt it was God's smile. The second one was, uh, and I've talked about it before, COP26 on the march, and just literally before, uh, a group in front of us had got kettled by the police and put down a side street, and uh, I walked a bit further on, and to the right, there was a double rainbow. God's smile, and I always thought, well, actually, it's a smile upon activism and being active. I've always taken that. Uh, and the other one, it might not be, uh, is for me, is actually when I was in my induction service, I came over from um, here, and there was a rainbow in the sky, and it was an affirmation to me. might not have been to some of you, but it was an affirmation <laughs> to me uh, that I was in the right place. So God's smile, uh, the rainbow is always uh, God's smile upon us. Whenever I see a rainbow, I think that is God's smile. <laughs> and this belovedness, this sense of belovedness, should be at the root of our faith, that we are actually radically okay and that we're accepted by God. What Matthew Fox calls original blessing, that we are at our very foundation fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image that that is the foundational truth and the healthy starting point of all our journeys, whether as individuals or a community. And that was the cornerstone of Paul's understanding of Christ, what Rowan Williams describes as God's universal welcome. So uh, in Paul's time, very stratified society, 
that he, he said that whatever status you were, whatever job you had, whatever wealth, whatever intelligence, whatever gender, whatever ethnicity, the list goes on. But in particular, in Paul's time, I think something like a third of the population were slaves. So even if you were a slave and you had no rights in this world, before God, you were radically accepted. And all are universally welcomed by God, invited to the feast, radically accepted, and our part is that we radically accept that we are radically accepted, if that makes any sense. But that's what Jesus did. He just accepted fully his belovedness before God. And this, according to Paul, is where our freedom comes from. This is where we can break away from the fences in our lives and move into the sky and have that freedom. And at the heart of our faith and at the heart of the Jewish faith is liberation. It was a mission of liberation that Jesus came to bring about, to bring good news, to free captives, to give sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of God's favor. And like Jesus, liberation and freedom are at the heart of uh, Paul's, both Paul's mission and his teaching. Christ has come to set us free. And what does, that, what does that really mean? And for Paul, freedom was a mark of a mature Christian life. And for Paul, who as Rowan uh, Williams summarizes, he believed that we were given by God the liberty to shape our own life. That no power on earth or in the spirit world, at that time they believed very strongly in this spirit world, that you are no longer a slave, whoever you are, you are now free. You ironically become a slave to Christ, but you are free. But unlike the usual slave owners, Christ's ownership is based on unconditional love, an unbreakable covenant, and a sense of our belovedness, a radical acceptance, and God's universal welcome. And this radical acceptance is at the foundation, according to Paul, of our freedom. And I'll read a little bit about the book that we're going to study in Lent, uh, Meeting God in St. Paul by uh, Rowan Williams. He says, <clears throat> how does this freedom that we are given work? It's a freedom from anxiety about an unknown and unpredictable God. It's a freedom from all those behaviors that go with such anxiety, the passionate self-concern that seeks its own security, the fears that others are doing better or are more deeply loved than we are. The search for gratifications of every, every sort. It is a freedom for new kinds of relationships in which we are at last able to contribute to each other's life and well-being instead of threatening and feeling threatened by one another. So it is also a freedom to bring good news to each other. Christian freedom is the liberty to let God do God-like things in you to give life, to promise forgiveness and reconcilia reconciliation, to communicate hope in word and action. So what does this gift of freedom really mean for Paul? It's certainly not a license or a liberty to do what we please. And I think we live under a marketing uh, illusion that freedom is associated with doing what we want, feeling happy much of the time, and in general, living this free existence, a mixture of liberty, license, and entitlement. 
But Paul's understanding of freedom is quite the opposite because freedom for Paul was a path to accountability. The greater our freedom, the greater our accountability. God has given us free will and also gives us huge responsibility for our actions. And I'm going to look at uh, the nature of freedom uh, through someone called Viktor Frankl. And also, um, there's a, a philosopher called Peter, I don't know how to pronounce his name, uh, Kostenbon, uh, and he wrote this, Confronting Our Freedom. So I'm using uh, those two books to really look at this nature of uh, freedom. So Vi Viktor Frankl was a famous Jewish uh, psychiatrist who survived the horrors of Auschwitz. Um, and he created something called logotherapy because he watched people in, in the camps and he began to discern who survived, who were the people that survived it and who didn't. And he came up with the people that survived all had a meaning. They all had a, something bigger, deeper meaning in order to keep them going in the camp. And he devised something that later became logotherapy, uh, which is... Uh, a therapeutic people um, uh, counseling which help people to find uh, their deep meaning and the meaning uh, of their life and really that's partly what religion is that's what our faith is is to f to give us a meaning uh, in our world and he what he once said I recommend that the statue of liberty be supplemented by a statue of responsibility and while in the concert concentration camp, Victor uh, Frankl discovered how treasured his freedom was and our freedom was because he found that even in the camps where the choices were so diminished, so severely limited, that they could never take away all his freedom. And he wrote, everything can be taken from a man or a woman, but one last thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. So even if our world shrinks, it might be through to a debilitating illness or circumstance, even when our world uh, shrinks and we have less choice, we still have that element of freedom. So freedom is truly a God-given God gift worth treasuring and we should never ever take it for granted but it is not i think what we think freedom provides an incredible opportunity and power to make our lives mature meaningful successful happy and authentic we can become subjects rather than objects in our journeys and accountable for creating the world in which we live or the community in which we are part of but it also brings uncertainty, and with it, emotions like anxiety, guilt, sadness, joy, relief, fear, all those human emotions, because we become responsible for the choices that we make. So consequently, I think we, certainly I have in my life, uh, but we spend a lot of time running away from our God-given gift of freedom. But Paul never, ever lets us do that. Instead, he confronts us with it, so that we can at times feel, and I quote from uh, Peter Kostenberg, a dreadful sense of freedom and the painful sense of responsibility. So in this freedom, where does God fit in? 
According to Paul, our true freedom uh, is when we choose, when we make the free choice to come under God's authority, Christ's yoke, which is gentle and loving. And to do this, we try and align ourselves with God's will and values and follow in Christ's footsteps. So we pray to discern what, what we think God wants. And as our psalmist prays, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. And that's the heart of Ignatian spirituality, is discerning what God wants for our lives. It also brings ethics and morals into our choices. We are called to choose between good and evil, and our faith, according to Paul, should involve a constant struggle to affirm life dignity, freedom against oppression, just injustice and violence. And I think these pictures here, they, they just, um, for me, resonate with what's going on in Gaza and what's going on in the Middle East. And if you've ever been to Palestine, you'll see uh, Israel, you'll see walls separating different people. And Gaza has actually been called uh, the biggest open-air prison uh, in, in the world. And I believe our freedom, the freedom we exercise, should also be used to help and liberate and free other people, whether it's in this country or across the world. So we are also called to follow Christ's example of service and sacrifice. And this is where a deep-rooted understanding of our belovedness is so important, because our journeys can be hard. Uh, in the Bible, it never says that uh, being a Christian will be easy. God's love and the extent of God's forgiveness become an essential part of our freedom because we're bound to make mistakes. We're bound to get things wrong. We're bound to wound others. We are bound to sin. And so an understanding and experience of God's forgiveness is another pathway to more freedom. So in effect, we become co-creators with God in our lives. In Pauline language, he calls it, we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So we're called to work out, there's the freedom bit, we're called to work out our salvation. The fear and trembling is that we are accountable and we are responsible for our decisions. So our freedom gives us a sense of supreme accountability. The willingness to accept responsibility for all our acts is a central ingredient of a mature faith. The exercising of our freedom ensures that others don't define our uh, reality. We become with God the primary agent of our own experience. And ultimately the Bible tells us that we become accountable before God for the decisions we make. In other words, there is some kind of judgment, but it's a judgment before a compassionate, just, loving, and restorative God. Um, and uh, the lovely, well, a, a story happened a few months ago. Um, again, uh, I'm partly involved with the uh, Palestinian uh, Action Group, and a number of uh, the group um, were charged, uh, they went to Talas, which provides a lot of the weapons in Glasgow for what's happening in, in um, some of the bombing that's happened in, Ga uh, uh, in Gaza. And I don't know what they did, I don't know if they abseiled down the building or whatever, um, but they stopped it working for two days, so they were taken to court and uh, three months. 
And the judge said, uh, <coughs> let them off. And his words were, they've committed a minor crime to prevent a major crime. And I thought, that, well, that's, that's the kind of God, a uh, judgment that I'd imagine God uh, being like. So the fact that we are co-creators of our own salvation should fill us with a sense of awe and gratitude that God has entrusted us with this level of freedom and responsibility. And you look around the world and we kind of made a bit of a mess of it. But it's incredible that we have that freedom and responsibility. And along with a sense of divine kingship that we have been created in God's image, our free will, if you like, is a holy charisma, a holy gift that is at the heart of our mind, our soul and being. And perhaps, I think, the most precious gift we are given along with God's divine love and sense of our belovedness. And I think the first stage in our freedom is often declaring a no, is the first act of reclaiming our freedom. And I know a lot of people have uh, been in very difficult situations, maybe domestic abuse or something, and that first, that ability to say no has been the gateway to other freedoms. Owning our freedom takes courage and maturity and is an essential part of our growth, healing, and inhabiting our full humanity. And Viktor Frankl wrote, between stimulus and response, there is this space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. So my prayer is for myself and us all is that we exercise our freedom with great care and compassion. Let us work out our salvation with both fear and trembling. Let us never, ever take our freedom for granted. But understand it is God's treasured gift to us. And we should use it wildly, wisely, with great care, with great compassion, and with great love. And understand that the gift of our freedom in our lives, that if we understand that fully and we become free, freer, then we can use that to liberate others and to free others. Amen. We've been thinking in the last few weeks about our journey and what we see around us in the, the new church decoration is some of the barriers to that freedom and to that journey. So one of the things we'll be thinking about in the prayers is some of the the barriers which we face and how to overcome them. So in fact, when I say, Lord, who, who sustains us, can you respond, help us to sustain each other? Lord, who sustains us, help us to sustain each other. God, who brought us into being, you see a world of chaos, and of violence and of a widening gulf between those who have and those who do not. We thank you that you do not give up on us, that you still sustain us. And we thank you for the freedom you have given us to choose your way. 
but we also thank you that we are journeying towards a new creation, free from decay and futility. Lord, who sustains us, help us to sustain each other. As our journey takes us from Lent to Easter, may we grieve for that which grieves you, all the pain of those who suffer and are excluded by the barriers we put up. And may we rejoice in your breaking down of barriers through your death and resurrection and follow your example of generous love. Lord, who sustains us, help us to sustain each other. We pray for those whose lives are consumed by war in Ukraine, in Gaza, in Sudan, in Yemen and elsewhere in the world. We pray for peace, but we know it can only come by changing men's hearts. So we pray for that change, for that enemies to see that they are destroying themselves for the voices of peace to be heard, for people to see that there will only be a future for our children if wars can be brought to an end. And we give thanks for those who exercise their freedom to stand up to evil, even though they know it will cost them their lives. Lord, who sustains us, help us to sustain each other. And we pray for our country and for our leaders and for your guidance as we exercise our choices to, to choose those leaders. Lord, who sustains us, help us to sustain each other. We pray for our church here, for a new vestry meeting this week. And we thank you for all who give so generously of their time and effort to make this space and this community a welcoming one. Give us wisdom and kindness as we take difficult decisions. Grace to be good listeners and the humility that esteems others as better than ourselves. Lord, who sustains us, help us to sustain each other. And we pray for all those who feel that their horizons are closing in through illness, through bereavement, through loss of a satisfying job, through overwhelming pressure just to deal with the everyday. We remember the words of the psalmist. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And we pray that you may do that, that you may give people who feel trapped at the opportunity to exercise their freedom. We pray this for the people we now name silently in our hearts. 
finally, a very old prayer. The things, good Lord, that we pray for, give us the grace to labor for. Amen. thanksgiving be to you, most loving Father, for Christ, in whom the world is reconciled. Lifted on the cross, his suffering and forgiveness spanned the gulf of our sins had made. And through that dark struggle, death was swallowed up in victory, that life and light might reign. At supper with his disciples, he took the bread and offered you thanks. He broke the bread and gave it to them, saying, Take, eat. This is my body. It is broken for you. After supper, he took the cup. He offered you thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. It is poured out for you and for all that sins may be forgiven. Do this in remembrance of me.
girls and all of us, may the love of God surround you. The passion of Jesus inspire you. The wisdom of the Spirit guide you, your thoughts and your actions. Amen. Breathe.